When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to After the Jag Corps, navigating your career progression, a podcast for judge advocates leaving military service. After the Jag Corps assists officers transitioning from the military law practice by learning from individuals who have successfully embarked on new careers, providing insight on rewarding professional opportunities, job search strategies, resumes, the value of your military experience, and more. Now, here is your host, Tom Welsh. Hey, today on the podcast, we're talking to Kelly Hook. Kelly retired from the Army JAG Corps after 20 years and about a month, if I remember correctly, back in June of 2019 or around that time. So, Kelly, welcome to the podcast. Hello. Thanks for having me. So, Kelly, it's great to have you here. I was looking at your LinkedIn profile before we linked up here. And, you know, seeing where you are now at T-Mobile as corporate counsel, and I know I'm getting ahead of the things here. But I went back and I looked at your profile and you're like most of us, you were a, you were a mutt. You did everything, legal assistance, prosecution, SJA, contracts. You went and got your master's degree, operational international law, fiscal law, trial again. Tell me your story. How did you go from army to corporate counsel? And of course, you can talk about your career. I'm not trying to limit you, but I think yours is an incredible, incredible journey. Oh, thanks. It was fun. I think that's kind of like why we all stay in the JAG course because it's fun. I was part of the legal education program. So I originally was a transportation officer, sent to law school, became a JAG. My first duty station was at Joint Base Lewis McCord. And I did the standard brand new JAG things. It was a trial counsel. I did some legal assistance and a little bit of ad law. And so I did just kind of like those initial things. Well, and then I deployed. They needed me to be a brigade judge advocate. And I was a senior captain, but not a major, but it was a logistics unit. And since I was a logistician, that just sort of made sense. I understood the client. I was told it was going to be Iraq. Within 30 days, they were like, nope, it's just going to be Kuwait. But there I was for a year. So that was kind of like my first like in-house counsel experience when I try to translate these things. But being a brigade judge advocate, you're embedded with the unit. And really getting to know how to know the client and how that affects how you're going to give them legal advice. And then I just did what the JAG court told me to do and go to these different places. But I knew I didn't like military law. So whenever I could, I did either operational law, administrative law, or contracts. And I loved contracts. I just really enjoyed it. I really love targeting and (laughs) that part of international law. That's not as translatable unless you're going to work for the American Red Cross or something like that. Try detainee law. There's yeah. there's not much for that either. Yeah. What I did find, and I could go back to this, is that it still is applicable. It's just not applicable directly. And so, but contracts, contracts, everyone understands what a contract is. So I did a lot of contracts. At my last assignment was at the contract of fiscal law division. It was litigation. And my family pretty much told me, it's time for us to go. (laughs) (laughs) And I was hit in 20 years. And 
it, it made sense. It was a good spot to jump because I was doing litigation work, which translates really well to the civilian world. Yes, I had a varied career, but I didn't do a lot of military justice and I didn't do a lot of things that people question, like, is that really law? Which it is. It's just people question those, those sorts of things. So I was able to say contracts. I was able to say compliance. Because I found out administrative law is compliance. That's what they call it in the outside world. And there's lots of compliance jobs out there. So I was thinking about, okay, I'm thinking about getting out. What do I want to do? And I didn't want to go to a GS job. I know that that's what a lot of people love. It's a continuation of service. It's familiar. It feels good. But I saw some people when they got out of the military and took off the uniform and put on a suit, but came back to the basically the same building, they had a hard time letting go of the good old days. And not everyone does that, but I was concerned I would do that. So I wanted to make a clean break, do something new. If, if I'm going to do something new, I'm going to do something really new. I had been involved in some projects, legal projects that had to do with technology and aerospace. And I was like, that's cool and exciting. I want to go someplace that's doing something cool and new and exciting. And I want it to not be involved in the government. Did you look at the outside as a new challenge as well? Completely. A new adventure is what I thought of it. When I joined the army, I had no intention of staying longer than four years. And there I was <laughs> at nearly 20. And so I figured, well, I went on one adventure. Now let's go do another one. I didn't want it to be just a, I have to go make money. I, I want it to be something I'm just going to truly enjoy because I was giving up something I truly enjoyed. Let me ask you this. You know, they tell you when you're looking to go for your next job or your career progression, you know, you look at it where I want to be, what do I want to do? And you kind of focus on those. You were down here in this area at Fort Belvoir. What puts you out on the West Coast? So I grew up in Washington State. So the ultimate goal was to get back to Washington State. I took my bar out here just to make sure that I had that going for me. But when I was looking, I looked from San Francisco North, Denver, Colorado, West. So I was willing to be in the general Northwest area, <laughs> knowing that you don't get to always choose these things. So, and so I, my two criteria was a tech company or someone doing something new and exciting and somewhere Colorado West. Okay. Now, did you have a retirement date in hand as you were looking? When did you start the process from Belvoir looking for something North of San, uh, San Francisco or West of Denver? So my daughter, my oldest one, she kind of initiated this when we first moved to before Belfar. She's one of those kids that never asked for anything. And if she's asked for it, that means she probably needed it two months ago. It's just always that not greedy, not entitled kid. I have another one that is, and I wouldn't, <laughs> but this one did not ask for anything. And she says, mom, I can't do three high schools. I can't do three high schools and then go off to college. You'll move again and it'll be in a place I've never been. And it, it's not going to feel like home. I will have no home to go home to. And the look in her eyes is like, do not break me. And I know everyone says kids are resilient, but they're resilient until they're not. And then what do you do? I mean, once they're broken, they're broken, right? So I was like, well, I just got here. I have this job, but I hit 20 right as I'm ready to PCS from this one. 
So let me start doing some research. (laughs) And I had started being involved in the ABA at my last duty assignment because of some new areas of law I was practicing and it was a great way to learn new things. And I started really getting involved in just enjoying the company of the people that are in this that one ABA forum, American Bar Association. So I started really leaning into my ABA involvement, leaning into other professional organization involvement and getting to know the people and hearing them talk about what kind of law they practice. And that started to inform me, what is the vocab for what I do? Because after talking to them, like, oh, I do that. Oh, that's what you call that. And I found out what kind of people I like hanging around with. I mean, you get to kind of like test out your colleagues that way. So you did this research. When did you start looking for work in relation to your time at Belvoir? I'm always interested in how long it took you or how long it took someone because, you know, back what we were talking before we came on, you know, you go to these transition events or you go to TAP and they say, oh, three, four months. Different companies have different lead times. So what did yours look like? How long did your search last? How painful or how easy was it? And how did you end up getting to where you are now? I started subscribing to job boards a year out just so I could see what jobs looked like. So I could see like common words, things like that. But I didn't start like really looking to look until probably February, March. But then I didn't apply until it was late March. Yeah, it was in March. But I had a colleague at the an ABA committee who told me about jobs that Kelly, you might be interested in this. And I said, well, I'm not going to be available until July. Should I even apply? And he said, yeah, yeah, I'll apply to this one. That is awfully late. But if you're the right candidate, we'll wait. And so I applied then. I think that in normal cases, that's too early. <laughs> I think it's awfully early, but I applied, I got into the finalists. I was one of two that they were still looking at. And then I found out I didn't get it. <laughs> so, but then you had mentioned before we started talking for the recording about MLPN and it's this network, uh, kind of like a listserv email that someone hooked me up on. And there was a job posting there that said, I'm sure one of you know how to do this. And the job listing said, someone who lives and breathes the FAR and DFARS. I'm like, I'm a government contracts person. That's me. And it was in Seattle area. I was like, and that's the area I want to be in. Wow. Yeah. So somebody on the mill pen was looking for somebody that found fun in the FAR. Yes. I was like, well, there can't be too many of us out in that want to live in Seattle. So I applied for that one. It did take about three or four weeks in the whole process. And I was going to offer and I said, well, I can't show up till July. And they said, July 8th sounds good to us. And I said, sounds great to me. So I had my retirement ceremony on the Army birthday, June 14th. And then we packed up the car the next day and we drove. We took three weeks to drive the Southern route. I always say we went down to the Smoky Mountains, down to New Orleans, across, and then back up through Arizona. (laughs) So the contracting, in your case, the contracting is what they were really looking for. Yeah. So that that was your hook, if you will. That was Um, my hook. 
but I, I'm guessing that's not the only thing that they found attractive about you. It's the whole package when you're going through the interview process. Did they give you any insight into what other things they liked about your background? I think one thing is that I was able to explain some of my non-directly related experience and how that worked. We're working with cross-functional teams. So I talk about how I was part of a staff and you had low decisions and communications people. And I mean, your S staff that you, you yeah. talk about and explaining how I worked with all these people. I was part of a team. We all discussed what the end goal was and how I was just part of a puzzle and working together and understanding what their needs were. I also was able to talk about, they said, well, you in the military, you don't deal with profit and loss. So how do you quantify risk. I'm like, you're right. I didn't deal with profit and loss. Our risk was collateral damage and death and destruction. Something much bigger. It's something much bigger. And I explained that there was actions that we could take, but maybe should not take or actions that were justified in taking. But the risk that we of this unknown damage was such that maybe it wasn't a good idea, or maybe it was a good idea. And being able to help go through those discussions. I said, so if I could talk about death and destruction as risk, surely I could talk about loss of money as risk. I mean, it's just, it's a different table to stakes entirely, but it's still the same conversation with limited data of what you're actually going to face in the future because it's risk. It's not a mathematical equation. And I think they understood, oh, okay, well, if she can discuss risk in those terms, she could discuss risk in loss of profit terms. I think one of the other things is that they just wanted someone that was strong and could state what they believed and thought the law was and wasn't going to be easily swayed. Not like you're stuck in your ways, but just I think they were looking for a candidate that was able to kind of stand up for herself or himself. And being a jag, I mean, you kind of have to. (laughs) So I think those things just sort of came natural. And months into my job, Actually, my boss at one point, he goes, sometimes I just enjoy listening to you talk to the client because sometimes you'll say something and you speak with the level of authority of someone who expects people to be listening to them and give them the information in a timely manner back. (laughs) And I laughed and I'm like, oh, am am I being too authoritarian? And they're like, no, I love it. Did you have any issues with the cultural adjustment? I I didn't, mainly because I expected it to be very different. And also because T-Mobile is not quite as different as they like to think. (laughs) (laughs) They are a large bureaucratic rank-oriented organization. Still a lot of fun, still a great place to be. But just because they wear magenta doesn't mean they don't have any sort of structure. (laughs) How difficult or how challenging was the interview or the negotiation process for you? So the interview was difficult because there was like three pre or phone interviews. And then I had to be flown out. We don't fly people out anymore. Everyone's so used to Zoom and WebEx. Flew me out. And then I had all day interviews and they gave me a break for lunch. (laughs) And that was it. So I had like six people in a row minus this lunch coming in and asking questions. It was intense as the person being interviewed. So that was hard, but the negotiations weren't because I had done a lot of research ahead of time of kind of what senior corporate counsel gets paid in Seattle, had kind of a general vicinity idea. And then I had in my head, okay, I'm going to negotiate this. I hear 
that women don't negotiate and I'm not going to be one of them. I'm going to be someone who knows what, and then they come out and offer me exactly what I wanted. Wow. And I was like, oh, well, what do I say now? <laughs> Did they offer any relocation assistance that you're able to negotiate because you had your move? Uh, were you able to factor that into it? Yeah, I was. So they normally would pay for a move. That was part of the hiring package. And I said, well, I already have someone paying for the move, but I need some place to stay when I first get there because I'm not going to be able to close on my house. And so they said, okay, well, that seems reasonable. So they put me up in a three-bedroom apartment for a month. I got 30 days. Okay. And, and it was a great apartment. It was tight for a family of five. It was actually a two-bedroom with a den that they put a rollerway bed in. But it was in a great location and it was furnished. And so greatly appreciated. It was a great benefit. So one of the concerns I have is negotiating is when I peeked behind the curtain and looked out to see what was what some jobs are paying, I was really shocked at the amount of money that can be made on the outside. And so, you know, I'm kind of concerned that I'll be like Kramer in the old Seinfeld where they were suing the coffee shop. And they first opened up by saying, we'll offer you free coffee for life. And he took it. Of settling for that, something to you is more than maybe you thought was possible and not going through the eaches to make sure that five years from now or whatever, that you're still feel like you're a valued member with the negotiations. Yeah, I was really concerned about that too. And when they did offer exactly what my goal was, and I thought I'd done research, I came back with, how did you come up with that number? And then they said, it's the exact number that the other two people that are senior corporate counsel on the team get paid. I was like, okay, I know who they are. I've checked out their resumes. They were actually people that interviewed me. I was like, well, if I'm on the same par as them, that that that's right. So I was, I was very comfortable with that. And I was actually surprised how transparent they were about mm -hmm. that. But I do think that that in some companies, they really try to like hide the ball, <laughs> those things. And then in others, they don't at all. Like Microsoft has like a category, a numerical category for a position. And if you could find out what the numerical category is, you could kind of Google it and find out a ballpark of what their their range is, like the high and low. And other company, and of course now with some states requiring companies to put a range, you get kind of an idea, but these things are geographic. Like right. I know that I'm at a tech company in the Seattle area. Even at T-Mobile, if I was at the Overland Park office in Kansas City, I would not get paid exactly the same. Sure. Circling back to the interview process, what was the interviews like? I mean, we hear things about, well, you know, parachuting you into scenarios and asking what your greatest accomplishment is or your your biggest weakness. Did you find those things in your interview process or was it more conversational and geared towards the job specifically? A lot of them were, tell me about a time where you had a situation like. I had a few of those. Justin, who was outside the team, but he, when he interviewed me, he's a former Marine and he looked at my resume and kind of knew a little bit more of what I actually did. And he's like, so I see some cyber on here. Tell me about that. And I'm like, but this role's not about cyber. He goes, yes, but we will make it about it because he needed help in his division. And so he, that was very conversational. It's like, tell me what kind of things you did. Okay. Now I understand more of what you actually do, what your, your extra skill sets are. 
T-Mobile is not a super formal company. So some of the interviewers, they were trying to do the proper interview formal, but some of them were just like, tell me about yourself. The resume. I've been fooling around with resumes and a friend told me a long time ago that if you're in this for any length of period of time, you end up writing lots of resumes, uh, depending on how many jobs you apply to or tailored resume for this job and maybe sort of more generic resume for you know networking purposes, for example. So my question to you is specifically, did you break yours down by jobs like you did on your LinkedIn profile? Or did you just kind of lump that under army officer? Here's all the different things, the skill sets that I had. I wrote a six page, what I called my master document resume, where I put all the things, all the things were on there. And then I looked at trying to figure out how I'd break that down. Because like I said, I was looking for a year at what job postings sort of look like. Mm -hmm. And so I thought, well, if I had that job posting, what would I put on there? And I started to feel very overwhelmed. I was trying to finish strong at work. I was have three kids, a husband, and the pressure of being the sole breadwinner and thinking about how am I going to move us out? I don't have a job. And it was too much. And so I outsourced. I hired someone. <laughs> no, no shame <laughs> to, in that. And she did my LinkedIn. She did my resume. Part of the package was she did a, a generic resume and then four tailored for different jobs. And I could pay for more, but four was part of the package. She coached me, was available for phone calls when I said, I don't know how to do a negotiation about a, a salary. And she was amazing and took one thing that was very important off my plate. <laughs> you said earlier that ad law is essentially compliance. How were you able to convince the folks on the outside that, yeah, I know what compliance is? To us, it's relatable directly to ethics, but I know there's different fields. How did you able to convince them, yeah, I know what compliance is, and this is how I did compliance in the Army? You know, I didn't fully understand that I was doing compliance until I was at T-Mobile. They really hired me for my government contract skills. Mm -hmm. They hired me because of that FAR and DFARS fit. But as I got to know their compliance shop, I started realizing I did compliance. And I think you have to explain that you advised business units, you advised units, military units, about regulatory requirements, whether it be about personnel issues or about EPA, if you're working on a large base and there's some sort of environmental protection, base security issues. I mean, just think about all the different regulatory bodies that you're working with and explain that. I was doing regulatory compliance. And that's kind of, you. if you do a job search, you can find a lot of regulatory compliance. Now, with T-Mobile, we're a telecommunications company, so everyone wants to talk about FCC regulatory compliance. But reading a regulation is reading a regulation. <laughs> it's The skill is there. If you know how to read a regulation and write a, and translate that to normal person speak, you can do compliance. So Kelly, let me ask this. If someone came to you today or after this podcast airs in about three weeks and says, Kelly, I'm thinking I want to go do something new like a corporate law office, but I'm older and I've been institutionalized in the Army or the Navy, and I'm really nervous about going to the corporate setting. What would you tell them? Don't be. It's really fun. 
One, I can't speak for all industries or all companies, but there's a wide variety of ages. There's a wide variety of other diverse groups that are going to be there. If you enjoy working with the business and solving problems, in-house counsel is the way to go. Like if you like like getting down and know how their processes are working, not just give great legal advice, but find out, oh, they have this system that works with that system. And this is how they do it on a daily basis. If that is fun for you, then in-house corporate counsel is a great way to go. And there are so many different ways you could do, do that. You could do it with privacy law. You can do it with transactional law. You could do it with compliance and if you think that, okay, I'm a more formal person, well, just go find a company that's more formal. Find a, a large defense contractor, a, a Boeing or a Northrop Grumman. If you are less formal or you're trying to get to a place where you're less formal, go find yourself. You probably want to go to a startup right away. I would not recommend that as your first one out. But a smaller company that's doing new and innovative things that is moving faster, it really translates well to what I would say an army is a brigade judge advocate job. And it's a lot of fun. I like meeting new people, finding out how, what kind of problems they're solving for the business and then seeing if I could help solve that too. Sounds like an SJA job. It, it is. Except this one, you don't get to transfer in a couple of years. You're, you're there until something else changes. It's funny though, because we had a merger and we've had three reorgs in our legal section. I've had three different bosses. <laughs> Has job security ever been an issue to you with uh, the mergers and stuff? You know, I thought about it, but I didn't want to worry about it. There's not a lot of government contracts attorneys in Seattle. We could get them in, in the D.C. area. And actually, when we merged, we took Sprint's government contracts attorneys, which are in the D.C. area. But I just I, I didn't think that that part of our business was going to go away. Yeah. And we actually we're trying to grow it. And so I didn't think that was going to be there, but it was a real possibility. There was a lot of great people that were told, thank you very much. We'll see you later. Well, hopefully they didn't apply to Facebook because Facebook's in, uh, laying off 13% of their workforce, like 11,000 people was announced today. Yeah. Well, Kelly, this is the part where I ask if you had anything that you wanted to share that I didn't ask, that I wasn't smart enough to ask before we sort of hit the stop button here? I think you have to, one, know what you want, and then two, be willing to take some risks about it. And part of knowing what you want is to know what's really out there. And so I think my joining the ABA was the best decision I did. And really getting to know people, listening to panels, talking to people, asking questions, finding out more, it created a network. It also gave me friends. Like I genuinely liked the people I was meeting. And that made me think, oh, I can be in that industry because they see even the competitors are talking nice to each other. And I think you don't know that until you go and hang out with those people. And I wouldn't even call it networking. It was learning their areas of the law and how they were different from what I was operating in and just getting to know them as people. And then I could decide what I really want. Good stuff. Well, Kelly, this is the danger. This is the problem with these discussions that by trying to keep them 30 minutes, they go quicker than we expect. 
but I really appreciate you making the time available tonight to, to talk to me about your career progression. Oh, you're welcome. It, it, any tips that might help someone, I'm all for it. Thank you for listening. If you like this podcast, be sure to subscribe and tell your friends. After the Jag Corps is a TJW 50 Associates LLC production. 